Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So yeah, I- I'm sitting on the toilet. I'm swiping through. And I come across this profile. So I see I, I see the bio. You know, it says something like, love to go out. Want someone who can treat me. I don't know. Some generic stuff. And then my eye catches this phrase. Sorry, not into Asians. Wow. Um, And it's the first time that I've seen it on a dating site. And I'm just thinking, like, I desperately want to DM this person somehow and just be like, wait, I don't even want to go out with you. Can you just explain why? Eddie Kim, like a lot of us, was really excited when he got into online dating. For him, it was just after a breakup His close friends were showing off their matches, telling him it was so easy, so he downloaded Tinder and Bumble. An existential crisis was the last thing that he expected to encounter. I'm Eamon Ismail, and you're listening to Man Up. On this show every week, we tell honest stories about our lives and investigate where we get our ideas about what it means to be a man. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I first came across Eddie Kim in Mel Magazine, an outlet mostly focused on millennial men. He's written a lot about his earliest encounters with Tinder and talked to other Asian Americans about how stereotypes have made online dating feel like it was impossible for them. The apps had even him fixating on those stereotypes. He hadn't really faced them in his dating life before that. You know, I'm someone who's basically fallen into relationships on a regular basis for the last, you know, decade of my life. And um, when I first started dating online, using apps like Tinder and Bumble, Mm -hmm. I only kind of knew what I had heard from friends and just from the hype uh, on places like, you know, Reddit or on social media, all the jokes. And I was kind of late to it. So this was a couple years back. And um It was surprising how quickly I went from being actually focused on people and trying to, you know, see if I would vibe with them or if I liked them to just getting to a place where I was sitting on the toilet, just swiping (laughs) endlessly, just trying to get my numbers up, as some of my guys uh, were, were telling me to do. And the other thing was how little response I was getting. Eddie is Korean American and grew up in Hawaii. Most of his friends were of Asian descent, so he didn't really stand out much. It wasn't until he left the island that that started to change. So Mm. I think for much of my adolescence, I never really thought about the racial elements of dating and relationships and just attraction. And going to school, going to college at the University of Southern California, which is a very different demographic than Honolulu, Hawaii, That was an eye-opening experience, and yet, even as I dated in college, 
didn't really think about it too much. You know, I I, yeah. I was fairly diverse in the women that I ended up going out with or just hanging out with. But online, on a platform like Tinder, that completely changed. That's what inspired me, I guess, to, to write about it for Mel Magazine and to try and talk to other guys, other men of color who had sort of witnessed this creeping sensation that uh, it's not just my bio, it's not just my photos, but mm-hmm. it's my race. I have to imagine that transitioning from dating IRL to online might have been jarring at first. What were your expectations before you downloaded the app? Well, so one thing I knew was that some of my gay friends, gay male friends, had had told me that on places like Grindr, the phrase, you know, no femmes, no Asians, it was very common to come across. That's explicit. Yeah. You know, in the straight community, I I had not really heard that. And I guess I hadn't really been asking my friends Mm -hmm. about it. You know, they were telling me, Tinder, Bumble, it's super easy. They were going to end up talking to so many different women. You know, you're a fairly attractive guy, not to pat myself on the back. But, (laughs) you know, I I had a little bit of hype about it. I had some ego about it, right? Mm -hmm. And I always kind of felt that if I could be in a room with someone, it doesn't have to be romantic, but that I could charm them and I could do a good job of connecting with that person. So online, that got completely subverted. I I thought at least the rejections would come after you know, sending texts back and forth, mm. not even not even matching, not even matching. Yeah. And so it's hard to hear some of your other close friends being like, oh, I got this date or I got this match or like going through their app and, you know, kind of joking around, but at the same time feeling super self-conscious because, yeah. yeah. you know, the logical place to start again is like, is it is my bio super lame? Like, are these photos just junk? <laughs> like, do I not look cute in them? Like, maybe that's it. So I like took new photos. No, no change, you know. Um, mm. And that's when I started reading on Reddit these complaints that guys had, especially Asian-American guys, of of what it felt like to feel, quote unquote, ignored. And to be honest, like the the data from places like uh, Match.com, I believe, Mm -hmm. did a survey. The data shows that it's true, that there is discriminatory feelings, um, especially from white, even black women uh, toward Asian men. Asian men rank lower than almost all other demographics uh, in terms of attraction, except from Asian women. So uh, I was starting to learn that the numbers did bear out this sort of quiet feeling I had inside about, you know, what is it about me that's not attractive? Yeah. So how do you imagine people were perceiving you when they came up to your picture and your profile on these dating apps? What, what stereotypes do you think that they were projecting onto you? Well, I think it's sort of the typical stereotypes around Asian men that we've seen portrayed in pop culture mostly. So that we're kind of effeminate, we're not really quote-unquote traditionally masculine. And I think that's partly just because of the ways stories are told, but it's it's also an ingrained sense of otherness. And I think it really comes down to that feeling of, of not knowing. And, and again, you know, is it the small dick thing? I don't know if that that's explicitly what people think about when they think of uh, an Asian guy or come across an Asian guy's dating profile. But I also don't think that's not in their mind either. Yeah, I mean, it's really prevalent in our culture, right? There's, right. It's like a constant. It's one of those running jokes that, that's been existing in our society for generations. Right. And whether that goes back to like 80s rom-coms with you know, a guy like Long Duk Dong, or, uh, or even a couple years ago with a movie like The Hangover 2, where there's an entire bit 
about um, uh, Mr. Chow, I think. But his, his dick being so small, it looks like a mushroom, like a hidden mushroom. What is that? We don't know. There's a worm? It's a mushroom. Yeah, shiitake. Monkey taste it. What do you think? Yeah. The monkey tries to eat it because it looks like a mushroom. Like so, <laughs> it's like that yeah, comedy yeah. hasn't really changed in a lot of ways, which is why I think it's so important that movies like Crazy Rich Asians or or this new one that's out, um, The Farewell, that these other more sincere uh, expressions of Asian culture are coming out into the mainstream. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the way that because I'm a Muslim American, Arab American. The way that I've experienced stereotypes, like I feel like the bigger impact that I've had to deal with is how it's impacted me, right? My my right. own self-worth, my, my self-image. And whenever those stereotypes get projected onto me, they, they sort of reinforce my worst insecurities. Mm-hmm. I wonder I wonder if you can relate to that because especially when it comes to something like dick size, this is something that I think every guy is insecure about. I, I, I wonder how that might be different for Asian men because they're they're not only experiencing this very natural insecurity about how adequate they are but also they have to deal with these stereotypes and all of these jokes in media i think for for asian guys in particular it's a self-doubt that happens even as you're meeting someone even as you're just starting to get to know someone in a romantic setting um even when the clothes haven't come off yet it's that feeling of do they already assume that i have a small dick because when you talk to people, the jokes seem to come out so easily and they it seems to be so not a big deal for some people to joke about that. And I, I think it's unhealthy to fixate on stuff like that. And I've tried in my own life to accept things that, you know, I can't control what people assume about me. Yeah. But it is this nagging doubt in certain situations, like on a place like Tinder or Bumble or another dating site, where that seems to flare up. And I think almost as important as the root of that stereotype is how we as men deal with that emotional sort of feedback that we give ourselves. I feel like this must have affected your confidence, right? Because especially when I was on dating apps and I wasn't getting a lot of matches either, I also wondered at first if there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. You know, the the worry that people were relying on stereotypes to figure me out kind of came second, right? Yeah. And that's kind of the reason why I stopped. Definitely. When I first felt this feeling that you're describing, I doubled down on online dating. Mm. I was like, you know what? If it's not this platform, I'm just going to go on a bunch of others. Like, this can't be it. So I was like kind of battling against it. And I think over time, I just learned the world is not fair on a platform like Tinder. There was a point where I was so miserable that I just needed to to change. And that's what led me to delete online dating apps. And I think there's been a lot of essays written about the freedom that comes from eliminating that option because of how toxic it can be for not just men, but also women. Mm -hmm. Um, And that helped. And honestly, log off is not always relevant advice. But in this case, it helped for me and I knew it was the right path for me because, man, it's just a bummer to spend, to put energy and time into this, this representation of yourself and not feel respected at all for it. Um, wow. wow. I mean, it sounds like you learned a lot of lessons, both about yourself and, and how you were seen. Yeah. And what 
What really got me thinking about the future was, you know, I am in a place where I'm happy now. But you go on an Asian American male subreddit, for instance, right? And there is so much bitterness about this, so much bitterness, and it even extends to even hating Asian women for dating white guys. You know, that's a toxic theme that will come up on certain forums online because. Asian guys feel that pressure, and they translate that pressure into anger. Mm. And you know, 2019 is a great year for righteous anger in a lot <laughs> of parts of our life. You know, yeah. but I, I think that this type of righteous anger uh, f- from men, from a community, from a racial community, it does more to divide and to slow progress than it does to to help. And mm. I think. You know certain elements of representation. Like I'm starting to report on like Asian American porn companies that really fetishize like Asian male white woman porn and things like that. Hmm. I think representation is important, but I also think having an agenda where you're just like trying to reverse fetishize. Like I don't know what the impacts of that will be culturally. I don't think I don't know if it'll make Asian men more insular and more. Um, upset about the conditions of the world, or or make them more inquisitive and more open-minded about like how they can branch out. It, it sounds like this topic is really hard to discuss <laughs> because I don't know how open other people are about these kinds of experiences and this feeling of. A feeling down and less than and inadequate. I wonder how you were able to pull yourself out of that. That's a hard question because I think in the moment it doesn't really feel like progress when you're miserable and questioning. I think I just embraced that and the questioning element of it more and more,、mm-hmm. rather than think this is so unjust and I need a solution to this. I think seeing a therapist helped. I mean, I, I didn't go to therapy just for this. It was a, a lot of elements of my life that were stressing me out. So、yeah. I, I think certainly having that professional to talk some of these ideas out with helped a lot. But it, it was acceptance, and and again, things get a lot better when you're able to find the path in this. Like we're talking about romance that、yeah. gives you contentment. So I was really, really lucky to start to slip into something meaningful, into a meaningful relationship. I mean,、yeah. as these、um, feelings were building up and frustrating me, so I was able to work it through this new thing where I wanted to be the best of myself, and the best of myself is. You know, not frantically worrying about my dick. It is not, you know,、mm-hmm. worrying about assumptions all the time, and rather being in the moment with that person. All these things that we enjoy about relationships, leaning into that finally in small ways and then bigger ways,、wow. I think helped me get out of it and helped me to reflect more healthily, rather than be bitter about it. But it's really hard, man. I'm, I'm like trying not to make this sound too easy because it wasn't easy. I was confused as hell. I was probably just bouncing off the walls at a certain point, just being、oh, like, venting to my friends, like, "Damn it, I can't get any matches on Tinder. What's wrong with me?" You, Didn't take the flattering photo of me. My chin looks weird. Yeah. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and I can imagine being around people who have no problem at all getting、yeah. tons of matches a night. Yeah.、Uh, didn't help. Yeah. It didn't help, but I I also knew that you know if I were to 
get angrily envious of their experience that that would set me back to right so i'm glad that you know at age 25 26 i was emotionally mature enough to understand like what are bad behaviors mentally um and that was a huge benefit i'm not going to lie like yeah. that was not something i had when i was 17 that's not something i had even when i was 22 yeah so yeah i i think that it's really hard for especially you know, teenagers who are trying to figure that out um, and, and men of color, you know, that that's a tough time depending on where in the country you live and the community around you. A lot of people feel isolated, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't think I was raised to be very uh, emotionally literate or to, to do emotional labor in ways other than yelling or punching a wall when I got mad. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of guys are at that point where that sort of very traditional masculinity where you're stoic or you're angry. Like, that's that's still so common, and I experienced it, and now I finally feel like I'm kind of getting out of the woods of that. <laughs> and it's opening my eyes to how many more things I can be inquisitive about and learn from rather than either deny, be stoic and not worry about it, or be angry about it. And yeah, I think those yeah. two modes of being as a man, regardless of, of what background culture you come from, it's like really ingrained. You know, some, one big irony is growing up, you know, when you're in Hawaii, there are, there are stereotypes not about Asians, but about each Asian culture, whether that's Filipinos or Chinese or, or Koreans. And Koreans are known for their temper. That's the cliche. We, we are, you know, volcanic when we, when we get mad. So it's, it's weird to, to have that stereotype put on me for, for much of my life. And then, you know, to be viewed as kind of docile or just like a, you know, skinny hipster Asian kid in the U.S. or on the mainland, I mean, and have the stereotype be that of the traditionally sort of like unmasculine Asian male. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of a, a head case. So I, I, like you, also started the the whole Tinder thing late. I was sort of like a, a, a monogamous streak mm-hmm. for, for so much yeah. of my life where online dating, when it did come out, just wasn't interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, and when eventually when I did like start a profile just for fun, uh, you know, just to like see what's on there because it's kind of, I don't know, I was curious. I, I started to recognize my own biases towards other people. Oh, yeah. Uh, so when I was scrolling, I would scroll past someone who I would see as like a Muslim woman. And I'm Muslim, right? Mm-hmm. And I, my instinct would be to swipe left, like to swipe no. Because I was so, I felt a little bit of shame and kind of like, like having that religious connection. I don't know, mm. but like I don't know that person. I don't. I haven't right. have, had. I haven't even exchanged words with this person. But I was still projecting this idea of the the religious Muslim, the person who takes their religion very seriously, onto them. Right. And, and after reading your pieces, I felt like that that wasn't fair. And I'm I'm starting to wonder how conscious people are of those biases that they might hold. And what's a good way to make them aware of those biases? I think people's biases, uh, we're seeing it certainly in the political world right now, right? Where people are confronting their biases um, and often not doing a great job of that. And I think sex is even more charged because it's so intimate. It's so personal. And a lot of the feedback and honestly hate mail 
that I got for that sexual racism article was just like, I'm not a bigot because I prefer a certain kind of person. I'm just like, all right, that's that's cool. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you're a bigot per se, but yeah. for for myself, uh, let, let's look at me. I mean, when I was going to USC, if I'm being totally honest, I probably started to exoticize like blonde white women. Mm. And that was, that was a, a demographic that wasn't as prevalent in my school in Honolulu and generally in Hawaii. Um, it's not the dominant archetype. And here I am in Southern California on a campus full of white women. Like, and my attraction toward that, that was a bias in of itself. And I didn't know, you know, I didn't acknowledge it during college. I think I started acknowledging it afterward um, when I started seeing a therapist, when I started, you know, being a little bit more introspective about why I prefer the things I do and what that says about me. And that's a process that a lot of guys would benefit from only because it's just investigating blind spots, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think if you can investigate all sorts of blind spots in your life, you become a more confident, well-rounded person, even if it, you know, is insecurities that you're looking into. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in, in your case, do you think it was also, because for me, I almost had an aversion to being that, like another Asian guy with an Asian girl. Mm. I, I, there was something about that image, that very clicky thing that I saw often in college um, within that community that I didn't like. I wanted to, quote unquote, diversify, I guess, kind of, yeah. a, kind of a weird way to put it. But uh, did that factor into your sort of dating life at all at any point? Or was it really about the insecurity about religion and, and kind of tackling that with someone from your faith? Yeah, I mean... Uh, a, a constant fixture in my life was this desire to be a better Muslim, right? The My ideas of how to practice my religion were very clearly prescribed. And mm-hmm. that if I wasn't fulfilling all of the requirements, one of them being not dating or sexually interacting with anyone of the opposite sex, or the same sex for that matter, then then I wasn't fulfilling that pre-prescribed idea of who a Muslim was. And so I didn't want to advertise that. I didn't want to acknowledge that. And uh, one of the ways that I did that was avoiding relationship or contact with Muslim women. And mm-hmm. I just I was thinking about that because of how you were describing people projecting these very kind of messed up stereotypes onto people. And mm-hmm. even though I've had to reconcile stereotypes used against me, uh, as a Muslim man, people kind of see us as these overly aggressive, possessive, yeah. culturally inept men that I, I almost felt like I, I, I'm not innocent. Like I've done, I've done something, I've done the same to Muslim women or, you know, so it right. almost made me curious. Uh, but I'm also really interested in what you just said about white women, right? This This yeah. idea of putting your, um, of, of like projecting your own ideals onto someone else, seeing them as the goal, right? The the most ideal version of your partner. Right. Where, where did those ideas come from? And I wonder if any of it is connected to your own insecurities towards how you maybe perceived other Asian men, specifically with other Asian women. Yeah. Um, I think starting with me, I even go back to, you know, I was a rebellious teenager, stereotype <laughs> right there, cliche right there. Um, and my parents uh, were very 
kind to me looking back at the whole process. But I do think about moments when my mom would, you know, sit me down and be like,、uh, "It would be great if you could marry a nice Korean girl,、um, yeah, someone we、yeah. can bring into the family." Because you know, my parents are assimilated, but you know, their their first language is still Korean.、Mm-hmm. Their English is not super, you know, proficient even now after a couple decades. And that was kind of a, you know, it was said with a wink. I, I didn't grow up with parents who were really strict about. You know, bring home a Korean girl, but it was a, it was almost like this repeated joke that existed throughout my teenage years.、Um, mm-hmm. And even you know, credit to my parents, even they had to come around. I I have never dated a Korean woman, and they came around、um, to to my partners just by understanding. You know, it's about what makes me him happy and fulfilled, not about what we expect as、right. you know part of our family. But even something like that, like, am I running from? That demand from my parents at a young age toward whiteness is that something that that's actually happened? Is it because of you know going to USC and being surrounded by these idealized women? Like you look at the football teams, song girls. I mean, it's just a cliche ingrained yeah, within the、yeah. culture. So I think of it in terms of my adolescence. I think of it in terms of my maturity in my late teens into my twenties. And yeah, I I just feel like. When you look at sex stars and sort of the most beautiful women that make People magazines list and things、yeah. like that, it is about whiteness. You see it repeated over and over again, and I think that subconscious stimulus just from culture is enough to make anyone sort of lured to it. And I don't mean to make it sound like a bad thing, but I think it can be a bad thing if we don't think about why we ended up with the people that we ended up with. Um, and for me, I am, in, you know, in a great relationship with a partner who is white, who is blonde, but <laughs> she is so open-minded and so willing to have these conversations with me that it makes the whole thing just more fulfilling, as opposed to me being suspicious about, you know, my reasons or the cultural forces that brought me there. Eddie's lucky that he realized the effect that online dating was having on him. And so he was able to protect himself from it. Many men, like the ones he mentions on the subreddit where some Asian men go to vent, instead transfer that dissatisfaction onto others, especially women. But Eddie's experience swiping but not being swiped was making him see himself with less worth. He was being programmed in a similar way to how users who posted "no Asians" were programmed themselves with comedy and porn. We're all trained to see each other in a particular way. Me, you, and Eddie too. It's literally impossible to avoid. And acknowledging that we have that lens is just the first step in seeing each other for who we really are. Nobody's immune, but accepting it is the only way to keep that lens from distorting how we really see each other. So we haven't done this in a while, but I want to take a quick second and share some voicemails that we've gotten from some listeners. This one is from a chef who had this to say after listening to our episode titled "Chefs Don't Have to Be Jerks." To keep it short and brief, I went into cooking at an older age. I've had six years of experience in the kitchen, and I think what really resonated with me about your podcast was, you know, Kenji and and other、uh, other other cooks go into the business at a young age, and they haven't learned, you know, the basic life skills that it takes to. Deal with problems, deal with stress, and all those things that come along with being in the kitchen, which is very similar to life. If you don't know how to deal with it, you just lash out in anger and you use 
basic instinct to get your idea across. But I think being being my age and when I went into cooking, I was able to learn those life lessons beforehand. So when I now that I am a sous chef and and I'm working with cooks, I use that to my advantage. I try to figure out you know why they're doing something that way and always approach them in a way that's going to help them and not hurt them. Um, cool. Cheers. You know, I really wished I asked Kenji this question. Like, are chefs who lash out playing out their childish instincts? I mean, I relate to that a lot. So at least when I was growing up, fear was the cheapest way to get respect. So, you know, if you're someone who's immature and you walk into a kitchen and the chef is freaking out and he's using that to earn the respect of their employees, you know, it makes sense that if you were being hazed in that way, if you were to become a chef and down the line, you'd haze your employees back making this perpetual cycle of assholes forever and ever. Anyways, I appreciate the voicemail, and I hope you keep tuning in and drop us another note sometime. And here's one more voicemail, this one from a listener responding to our episode titled An Intervention. Hey, hey man, this is Kevin from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I wanted to share with you a comment on something that surprised me about your conversation with Danielle. Uh, In the midst of all the self-examination and the soul-searching on your own behavior, You didn't uh, examine it from the angle of the spiritual teachings of Islam. This was a bit surprising to me because you are clearly so proud to be a Muslim and because you have referenced uh, your conversation with Simranjit Singh. He is a person who explicitly uses his own spiritual tradition, the teachings there, to uh, find a way to constructively engage with hatred. So... um, Please don't take this as a criticism. I know you had a lot going on. There's a lot to sort out. And obviously your relationship with your religion is deeply personal. But I was kind of surprised that it didn't come up. All right, man. Take care. Yeah, Kevin, you're you're crazy spot on, for real. And for the people who didn't get a chance to listen to it, you're talking about Charadikala. It's something that Simranjit Singh described as always aspiring to optimism, right? And that's what helped him confront bigotry head on. So my faith did cross my mind, and it's something that I wished that I brought up in that episode. And so for me, my inspiration in wanting to re-examine myself and try to make myself better was Islam, It's specifically this idea of jihad and nafs, right? The struggle against yourself. It's also called the greater jihad. It's meant to allow Muslims to fight the evil and the anger and the bad morality within themselves. That could be one of the hardest things that we do in this life. Uh, But at the same time, it could be one of the most rewarding things. So when my producer, Danielle, pointed that out, that I might have put my family in danger by trying to act tough, uh, that's something I had to reckon with and try to shake loose from inside of me and, and work through. But yeah, thank you for bringing that up. That's really amazing and spot on, for real. So quick shouts out to everyone who's been leaving us voicemails and sending us emails. And if you haven't sent us anything yet, we'd love to hear from you too. Got thoughts on this week's episode or maybe have an idea on what to talk about next? Do leave us a message at 805-626-8707. That's 805-MANUP07. Or email us at manup at slate.com. If you like this episode, please consider supporting the kid and leave a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Not only do we appreciate it, it also helps other people find the show. Man Up is hosted and written by me, Eamon Ismail. Our producers are Danielle Hewitt and Cameron Drews. Our executive producers are Jeffrey Bloomer and Lowen Liu. Gabriel Roth is the editorial director of Slate Podcasts. And June Thomas is the senior managing producer of Slate Podcasts. 
Make sure you're subscribed because we'll be back next week with more Man Up. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.